church could be transformative. And it's the thing that makes me so mad and so stressed out about the church. The church could be so transformative if it owned that. Hello, and welcome to Evangel Bros, your podcast about biblical literacy, discipleship, and historical slash cultural context. I'm your co-host, George Benson. I'm your other co-host, Don Shiver. And it's good to see you, buddy. It's good to see you, too. It's been been a couple months. Yeah, it's been a minute. Yeah. So It's uh, it's been a summer. It has. (laughs) You know, when we said we were going on a summer break, we didn't give a specific start back time. So I feel we're okay. Yeah, well, you know, uh, I also don't blame people as using that as an excuse to just stop listening to us, too. I don't blame them either. Although, I got to say, they're probably missing out on this new episode. That'll be in their feed. Hopefully. Hopefully. Um, So, yeah, a quick thing. We were hoping to come back sooner, but uh, my wife and I are in the middle of an adoption, so that's been taking up the majority of my time. And honestly, it's it's more important than, than this podcast is. So I'm not even Absolutely. sorry for that. So yeah, that's and on top of that, my health hasn't been great this summer. So I think it just worked out for both of us to just kind of take a break. So Yeah, but we are back. We are. I'm and not going to say better than ever. No, definitely not. We don't want to set that high bar. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, um I mean, I think, you know, a nice uh, off-the-cuff episode is just what everybody probably wants and needs. So what have you been reading, thinking about, um, you know, what's stuff that's been on your mind, Don? Well, I mean, recently, a lot of it is just, you know, it's the high holy days within Judaism right now, uh, whether it be Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot's coming up, um, depending on when this episode's released, right? So um, it's just in the midst of the high holy days. And so I've just been thinking about that. A lot of how, you know, our church calendar um, has abandoned a lot of the biblical festivals and feasts and, you know, things that the text says, and you shall do this forever. (laughs) And we're like, until you're Christian. Um. But also thinking about how do I do that well without appropriating because Christianity and Judaism has gone their separate ways. And though I want to acknowledge these holidays and these biblical expressions of God, I also don't want to, you know, be a Christian coming along and appropriating these religious festivals and holidays. Yeah, that's something, yeah, man. That's something that really struck me this past uh, Easter was, you know, I always enjoyed participating in uh, a Passover Seder. And uh, I I think I did one where it was a a Christian Passover, but just the idea of appropriating um, stuff that came after Jesus, like the, the, the Passover Seder that we know now. Right. Um, So how are you, how are you handling that? Like, as I know in the past, we've been, I was a part of a church that you helped usher in Jewish roots on, and we did some of these celebrations and um, things have changed as time has gone on. I think, I think I've backed off a little bit, but 
within my household, I think we still uh, want to feel these and express these and embrace them. I think it's like anything else. It's like tokenizing a human being or, uh, you know, appropriating dress or culture that there's a way to go about things that honors it as opposed to makes it about you. And so I've just been striving to how do we honor uh, the ideals of Rosh Hashanah? How do we honor the ideals of Yom Kippur? And then how as a uh, member of the faithful do those impact the way I think about life? And I think where a lot of times appropriation happens and man, I might be just stepping in a big old steaming pile of stuff right now with this statement is when we, when we want to experience something or present ourselves as something for the experience itself and not for uh, the honoring of it. Right. So someone might dress up for uh, uh Let's go with St. Patty's Day because that might be the least offensive, right? People people dress up for St. Patty's Day and they're not actually trying to honor Irish culture. Yeah. They're just doing it for fun and for a party. And so they're doing it for the experience as opposed to trying to understand the underlying uh, beauty of a culture. Sure. Uh, so I think that's for me, that's where a big shift has happened. I've, I've kind of balked at a couple satyrs over the last couple of years in the fact of like deciding not to participate or, you know, this past year I was, I wasn't very well. So that was an easy way to not participate anyhow. But, um, you know, wanting to make sure that the satyrs I participate in were about honoring Israel and yeah. honoring the Jewish faith even though I might find beauty in them as a Christian, um, that I, I maintain it, it remains a Jewish, uh, expression. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's such an interesting time to kind of go through some of this stuff because I feel like as a culture, we're still trying to grasp what this means in the larger context because most people haven't given a shit. Mm -hmm. And so when it starts to, um, get more refined into our everyday life of, of faith. Like that's such a, that's already such a personal thing that, that we make about us, whether or not we, we should. And so right. to see that go out in the larger context of, okay, well maybe the things that I have been doing haven't been on the level that it's, it's hard. It's tough. Yeah. And I think it's important for us to constantly go back and reflect, not to just assume that we've handled it. I mean, I think about this past Sunday, right? So this past Sunday, we talked about atonement and the difference or the similarities between atonement and forgiveness. And I brought up a current event, which was, you know, the hug heard around the world. Yeah. And uh, with Brant Jean, right? Is that the awesome. gentleman's name? What is it? I thought it was Botham. Well, Botham is the gentleman that was killed. Oh, Brant his, is his, his brother. brother. Yes. I'm yeah. sorry. Yes. And, you know, I stepped in it there quite a bit because, again, I did what a lot of white evangelicals 
have been doing with that and is focusing on the forgiveness of the brother Brant as opposed to the injustice of a black man being shot in his in oh, no. his own home while eating ice cream. Right. Yeah. Like um and so even though I would like to imagine myself a healthy ally and someone who is, you know, concerned about social and racial equality, um, I missed the boat on Sunday. And I know that that hurt a few people in my congregation. Right. So I think we constantly need to be willing to critique our own way of talking about things, thinking about things, expressing things such as the holidays. Yeah. And being willing to change and be reshaped. Um, but man, yeah. it hurts. It does. You know what's, I, I feel like, so th- I've had a conversation, or maybe not even a conversation, this has been on my mind a lot. Uh, and it's adjacent to what you're talking about. And it's the, it's posture. Like, absolutely. I, I'm constantly, so right now I'm, I'm engaged in conversations with people that, are about critical historic analysis of the old Testament and the new Testament. And it's very much from a Western perspective of let's dissect everything that's going on. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I've, that's been really tough for me over the years is trying to align myself in, in the mindset of what is the author trying to tell me about the subject? Right. Because that's equally as important as to what was going on in at the time. Right. And the the conversations around this have been interesting in that most people aren't trying to align themselves as a student. Right. In fact, oftentimes we want it to pass through uh, whatever lens allows us to be the teacher. Yeah. Abs- yes, absolutely. So in, in my life, at work, um, at home, over the last probably three or four weeks, I've just been trying to refocus myself and say, okay, what posture am I taking this from? Am I taking this from as I'm trying to teach somebody or am I, am I trying to actively learn and engage in this and ask questions that are not just helpful to me, but for maybe the community as a whole? Yeah. Well, I think most people's unfortunately, uh, and you know, I feel like maybe even we blame political climate too much, but now I'm going to go with it anyhow, um, because of the political climate of our country, the U.S., um, I think most people enter into conversations that potentially have disagreement or potentially uh, come from different places. And they walk into those discussions assuming they are the teacher. And I mean, that's a huge flaw Um, that we have, right? That we walk into, we don't know each other from Adam on social media, yet we walk in as if we're the authority. It makes me think of the guy that uh, got in the debate with the woman on Twitter. I know know there's a million examples of that, but the one particular I'm thinking of is where he was trying to explain that uh, the photos were not of vulvas, they were of vaginas. And the woman, she's like, well, I am a doctor, I'm a gynecologist and I'm a woman. I know what I'm talking about. And then someone was like, you just mansplained the, like, you know, the expert on this. Yeah. And then he goes on to explain what mansplaining actually is and how he wasn't mansplaining. And so anyhow, it's just this hilarious thing, but you know, he walked into that setting as a lot of men do 
uh, particularly when engaging women, and assumed he was the authority or the teacher. And uh, we just do it constantly uh, in all kinds of conversations, even small conversations. Yeah. And that's such a huge deficit. Uh, it creates a huge deficit in having any kind of meaningful conversation. I know. I completely agree. And then the, yeah, yes. The thing that I've been trying to, well, let me ask you this. When you're in that type of situation, how do you, is there a way that you, uh, kind of refocus it and try and subtly change the posture, but change the tone of the conversation. So, um, if you're hanging out with a, a you know, friends or whatever, and somebody is trying to teach you something on uh, a subject that you're not asking to be taught in. Mm. I'm, I'm sure you've been in that position, especially with trying and uh, yeah, certainly. Well, I think it depends on the setting and the person. If it's a complete stranger, um, you know, my favorite thing to do, because I don't know that I really do too much subtly, George. No, well, I, it depends on who you're talking to, but that's yeah. fair. Um, if it's a complete stranger, usually when someone walks in to a conversation and assumes their self to be the authority or the teacher, mm-hmm. they also tend to be very passive aggressive. Um, and I just take their passive aggressiveness literally and respond to their passive aggressiveness literally. And, um, and that's usually that's it. It kilters. The, I don't know how it, it kind of somehow readjusts. And, you know, Tana always says, you know, she's I, she just posted something on Facebook the other day about like, um, you know, someone someone posted a meme that said, uh, you know, my my spouse will tell someone exactly how it is and they'll love my spouse. And I'll say something like, well, wow, there isn't enough ketchup on this hamburger and I'm the worst person that ever lived. <laughs> and, uh, and Tana's like, that's totally us. Don can be forthright and a hundred percent with someone and say some things that are like cut right to the chase. And people are like, wow, I like Don. And, uh, so I don't know. I think part of it's just, I'm, I'm fortunate maybe <laughs> that I'm able to do that, but you know, people will say like, I was just in a conversation where someone said, um, Oh, how they say it. they were they told me that I was trying to sound smart and it just made me sound stupid. I don't know how that works. Um, and I said, okay. I was like, thank you for the feedback. And then they said something about um that they really appreciate. And it was all being very sarcastic. And I was like, that means a lot coming from you. Thank you. <laughs> and that that changed it because I think part of it is is they knew that they weren't getting to me, right? that you know you can say those things and people get defensive and people get fired up and they start saying like well stop using ad hominem you know arguments and and though those things are right they're they're correct like you're not actually making a point uh i find that that doesn't get you anywhere um and i just find that when i just play along uh with the person that eventually the barriers get dropped Hmm. um i'm not sure that that works for Anyone else? Yeah, I but don't. For some reason, it works for me. I mean, yeah. I was pretty harsh with you when you and I first met. So what was it about the way I spoke to you that made you want to continue to to meet with me? Oh, um, you were a dick. 
I yeah. mean, yeah, I, yeah. Well, I think the difference though was you, one of the things that you pointed out was that I didn't realize it, but I was, I was trying to teach you something. Right. Like I came into the conversation already thinking right, that to drop some knowledge. Yeah. Um, and so that like the, the idea of, of posturing in a healthy way uh, was never something that I, I really knew about because, you know, you only found teacher and student settings in a classroom. Right. Or if, you know, it was reformed as leadership and mentorship and everything else. Um, and so, I mean, that, you know, that, that was part of it. I just, uh, yeah, I don't know. I was just curious what your, what your thoughts were on that. Cause I remember one time when you were interrupted, I think it was by a local pastor while you were reading Darwin. Mm, yeah. And that, that story always comes to mind when I'm thinking about this topic. Yeah. And, you know, to share that story, you know, um, I was sitting, I was reading, you know, uh, survival of the fittest, uh, which I don't think is actually the title. The title escapes me. Um, but, uh, and someone came and sat down across from me in a pew or not in a pew in a, it might as well have been a pew, uh, in a, uh, what's it called? A booth at Panera. And they started to use apologetics, uh, and I was like, oh, well, I'm just going to go ahead and defend from the perspective of evolution. And I ran circles around them. Uh, and they were just like, well, unless you accept Jesus, you're going to go to hell. And I was like, well, I'm a pastor. And they're like, well, then you're a heretic. <laughs> and I was like, that's very well possible. And then they left. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that it's, it's one of those things where people say, you know, the great thing about uh, like old people, like in their eighties is that they can say whatever they want and get away with it. Yeah. Right. Um, is that I've learned to do that at a much younger age. Um, and I, I'm just willing to know that I'm willing to risk the fact that someone might not like me, but I don't have enough time in this life to, uh, deal with some of the stuff that comes at me. And, and I hope that the listener hears that like 90% of my life is not, probably 99% of my life is not conflict like that. Yeah, It's just the occasional person that wants to come and approach me and drop some knowledge yeah. on me that I don't agree with. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, like we were saying at the beginning of this all, the, the idea of how you sit and, and the, the, the position you take ties into the questioning of appropriation. You know, like, am I doing this because it's myself? Is it something that I want to learn about? Is, you know, I, I was just, I, yeah, I don't know. I was just curious about that. Um, but are there any books you're reading right now that are like exciting? Uh, modern poker theory. It's one I'm reading right now. It's excellent. Uh, the mathematics and analytics behind poker uh, and game theory game theory optimization of poker. Uh, so that's what I'm reading right now. That sounds like fun. It is. It's delicious. No, it's seriously, uh, it sounds interesting. It is. It's, it's all math, uh, which I, I enjoy immensely. Um, and so, uh, so that's what I'm reading. I, I'm really haven't been reading too many 
theological books lately, uh, not even really any fiction lately. Um, wow. Just, uh, you know, like I mentioned briefly, you know, I, I haven't been all that well this summer. And so uh, with my autoimmune stuff going on, I just, I haven't had the energy or the brain power to do a lot of that stuff. So um, most of my learning has come through just, you know, studying different things, but not, not sitting down and reading a book. So what about you? What have you been reading? Um, I just finished up over the weekend, the, I think the most recent Peter Enns book, how the Bible actually works. Okay. Which was that? It was good. Um, and it, I think, well, I should say what I walked away with it was from the idea of the Bible as a wisdom book. And he was reframing it as a wisdom book and the tradition that's been done throughout the years, which, you know, there was always something good to, to get from a book, but, um, yeah, it was fine. Uh, what else am I reading? I'm finally finishing up sitting at the feet of rabbi Jesus. Mm. I've got a couple pages left in that. So that'll be done today, which is great. That's uh, the first one, right? Because then it's following in the footsteps of Rabbi Jesus is the second one. Is that correct? I or vice versa? Actually, I'm not sure, but okay. that's the one I'm reading. So I'll move on okay. to that one afterward. And then, man, like 10, almost 10 years ago, I bought, actually, probably more like eight, whatever. Uh, I bought um, Jesus through Middle Eastern Eyes. Oh, yeah. Uh, Kenneth Bailey. Yeah. And I finally started reading that. Last and it's week. a very good book. And I'm about halfway through it. Yeah, anything by Kenneth Bailey is excellent. It's a shame he just recently died. Um, yeah, I think last year, maybe the year before. Um, and so, unfortunately, won't be putting out any more books. But his stuff, all of his stuff is good. His Poets and Peasants uh, is really good, which that is predominantly just the, the parables of Luke. Um, so that's an excellent book as well. Yeah. Other than that, I'll have, to, I'll have to check that one out. But yeah, I'm just chugging away, trying to read as much as I can right now. Nice. Yeah. It's good. So, so then uh, let me ask you a question. Please. When you think about atonement and forgiveness, what do those two terms conjure up in your mind? Oh, man. Um the evangelical in me goes straight to the cross as far as atonement goes. Fair. Um, so I honestly, I try not to, I really don't think about atonement too much. Forgiveness is the one that I probably spend more time on. And that's still trying to figure out if I have been, if I've been wronged, how I create healthy boundaries with somebody and if i have wronged someone how do i create healthy measures to not do that again mm. so it's very much solely based on me right now as i'm thinking as i'm thinking so why do you why do you think you don't go near atonement anymore well i don't probably because i just really i don't know i really i don't have a good answer to that it's interesting to me because, you know, I think that there's a handful of terms, concepts that the more progressive 
or the more liberal church politically that you're in, um, the less that certain topics are talked about. I think Atomic is spoken about less often in more uh, more liberal leaning churches. And again, as I always do, I'm differentiating between liberal theology and liberal churches. Liberal yeah. theology is different. Um, so the more liberal the churches or the congregants are of a church, the more left leaning leaning the congregants are. There's a handful of things that just don't get talked about as much, such as the day of judgment, such as heaven, such as hell, such as uh, sin, such as atonement. Yeah. I was having this conversation two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago now. And somebody was saying how their view of God is just all love. And I'm like, well, what do you do with the heart? Like, you know, God ordering genocide in the Bible. And I wasn't trying to be a dick. I was just trying, I was genuinely, I'm, I'm always curious because the, at least in my experience, the more left-leaning of churches, the more you only focus on the, the fluffy, easy to swallow, understand aspects of God's character. Well, I think the left-leaning church is making the same mistake that the right-wing-leaning church made, which is the right-leaning church predominantly does not leave Paul in the epistles. Yeah. And the left-leaning church doesn't leave the gospels and acts. Yeah. And I, um, and I think that's just as dangerous. Um, yeah. You know, I'd like to think, you know, listening to Jesus' words are a little less dangerous than just listening to Paul's, but I, I'd say it still presents the same types of problems. Okay. So what what's making you focus on atonement right now? Well, it's Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, uh, is the Jewish high holiday right now. Uh, Go on. Um, and so this is the day that the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies and asks for atonement or seeks atonement for all of Israel. Uh, or offers atonement for all of Israel, stands before God, looks for forgiveness, the scapegoat is sent out, uh, that type of thing. So um, that's that's why atonement is on my mind. Because when you hear people at Easter talking about atonement, you, you don't often, I would say rarely, if ever, hear anyone really talk about atonement as understood at Yom Kippur. Right. So we've created our own definition of atonement, kind of like we've done with discipleship, right? We, we don't bother with what is the Jewish understanding of discipleship. We say, what is Christian discipleship? Uh, yeah. And we've turned it into something different. So, uh, so yeah, that's why I've been thinking about it. Okay. Well, it's been years since I've looked at Yom Kippur, uh, mm-hmm. So why don't you walk, what's, what's the difference between Christian, the idea of Christian atonement and um, ancient Jewish atonement? Nice try. I mean, I know we've been apart for a while, but that's not going to work. You, you don't get to just, I, I'm not just going to answer your question. Come on now. Well, <laughs> help me to ask a better question then. All right. Um, well, first of all, I think it does come back to, we've made it synony- a synonym with forgiveness. Like when we talk about atonement at the cross, forgiveness at the cross, we tend to just make those things the same thing. And that's why I asked you earlier, like, how do you define these two terms? And how would you say that they, you know, what is the Venn diagram that overlaps? But what are the parts that don't overlap of those two things? So for me, the first question I'd really want to dig into and maybe hear your perspective on is what sets atonement apart from forgiveness? 
I have no idea. So um, if you atoned for your sins, what does that mean? That I have sought to be forgiven by the one I've sinned against. Okay. And how is that typically done? Um, asking for forgiveness. So in most situations, atonement, particularly in the Hebrew text, atonement is when it is sought is by repaying a debt, right? So when you seek, when you are actually trying to atone for a sin, you actually are in some way coming back and offering something to compensate for the wrong. Right. If you accidentally kill someone's horse, you maybe are atoning by bringing them a new horse. Yeah. Right. And so that's atoning. Forgiveness doesn't require you to bring anything. If you owe me five dollars and I forgive your debt, you don't owe me anything. If you owe me five dollars and you atone for that by bringing me, you know, a caramel macchiato. Now you've atoned for the five dollars. Right. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So one, one, there isn't any contribution necessary. That doesn't mean that there wouldn't be, but there isn't any contribution necessary. Uh, the other one, so one is very active and one's very passive. To be forgiven is passive, right? That you you can't do anything to be forgiven. Someone else will forgive you or not forgive you, but you can atone and that's very active, right? So when I think about what we've done how is the cross atoning for us um i mean i'm trying not to overthink this the what i go back to is the the blood oath with abraham Mm -hmm. us not living up to the uh covenant that we made with god and the blood is the the sprinkling of the, the, or the cleansing, like in the temple. Okay. So, so let's think about maybe come from another direction. How does a lamb atone for sin for someone? They offer a lamb, it atones for them. How does it do that? Uh, the, oh, the, the, isn't there like the transference of sin? Okay. But But what is the, like, so a lot of people are going to go immediately to it's dying is what atones for us. But there's something, you can't just bring any lamb. What does the lamb have to be? Unblemished. Right. Which means that what is more important about the lamb, the way it dies or the way it, the way it, the way it shows up, the way it lives. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So what, what provides you atonement? isn't the death of the lamb. It's the life of the lamb. The lamb that is unblemished means that it was, you know, it lived a life that was safe. It lived a life that was good or whatever. Right. I don't know exact details sure. on how, but you can't bring a blemished lamb to receive atonement. Death is death, but it's not the death that matters. It's the life of the animal that matters. So I would argue that when, that when we think about the cross, how is the cross atonement? Because of the life that was led before it got there. Correct. So atonement is about Jesus's life, not about Jesus's death, uh, which is why Paul uses the phrase that can be interchanged with the way that most 
English Western Christian Bible is translated as if you have faith in Jesus, you will be saved, where it actually says it was the faithfulness of Jesus that saves you. Right. So it's the way that Jesus lived that brings you salvation. Um, and that's atonement. So and that goes into that picture of putting the treasures of heaven that we talked about in one of our other podcasts. Yeah. Um, and so this idea of placing treasures in heaven, Jesus has placed so many treasures in heaven that those extra means, those extra treasures atone. They pay for the deficits that we have. And it was not because of his death, but because of his life that those things are there. And I think that that's really important because we live in a culture. So let me, before I just kind of give you the punchline, let me ask you some questions. So maybe you can come to the punchline. Um, how does that change us? Well, uh, as members of the faithful it's more hopeful as in it's it's something that is actually attainable Mm. i'm not ultimately looking at this from me being a piece of shit Mm. or told that i am wrong because of something i had no control over right but it, it gives me the opportunity to be able to move forward right yeah, and this this kind of eliminates substitutionary atonement, right? In a lot of ways, because yeah, uh, Jesus isn't in our place, but Jesus is with us, right? Yeah. That uh, Jesus, that we still have an opportunity to live such a life that is atoned for, but if we fall short, then Jesus has a surplus, so to speak. Right. And it's that whole collective versus individual. And I'd really encourage people. I don't remember what that podcast was called that we did about treasures in heaven. Yeah. I'll try and find the show. I, notes. I think it was, I think it was during one of our sin podcasts that that came up, but um, I, I think that that's really important, but most Christians, when we think about, especially since we're individualized, right. Like, and I think this, maybe this is a good example. So George, when Israel goes into exile, whose fault is it? Israel's. All of them? No, not all of them. So it's not a hundred percent participation. Correct. And when Israel comes back from exile and they're returned, they're redeemed, they're, they're returned back to Israel. uh, Who's responsible for that? Yahweh. Well, I'd just say Israel as well. Yeah, changing, repenting, uh, and turning back to God. But again, would you argue it was 100% participation? No. And so this is the collective piece that we miss, right? It wasn't because every single Israelite walked away from God. We know that's not true. We know that's not possible because we have prophets who are preaching to them while in exile saying, what are you doing? This is why we're here. And clearly God is still speaking through these prophets. So the prophets still seem to be righteous, right? Uh, And people seem to be righteous. It's just that collectively the debt of the people is such in which the people are in exile. Now, for you and I, we live in such an individualistic mindset now that we can't really fathom that. Um, Or we can talk about it, but we can't really feel it maybe to its core. And collectively, we are more quick to forgive people than we are to atone and why is that 
uh, because I would say that we don't think atonement is possible. Oh, interesting. Like Why it, do you not think it's possible? Well, I mean, because if if I'm thinking of the this, okay. So the way that I'm approaching this is thinking of atonement as a way that of a life being lived instead of um, somebody dying for something that I didn't ask for. Like, I would say that atonement was a, a one-sided thing that I could never have touched before mm-hmm. because it's wrapped up in Jesus's death on the cross. Right. It's, it's not, it has nothing to do with the life that's lived. So for me, atonement on an individualistic scale with somebody else, I would say that from my old point of view, I wouldn't view atonement being completely possible. I don't know if that's making any sense. No, I, I think I, I think I'm following you because we just put it out of reach, right? We've made yeah. it the divine as opposed to uh, something that we can participate in. And I would argue that we should be participating in it. Israel always participated in its own atonement, right? Israel always did, whether it be bringing a sheep to the temple or it be uh, paying uh, an offering, right? These were all processes of, and I would say, though, they tend to be more metaphorical, that they're all processes of recognizing the meaning and the value of atonement, that we shouldn't just be seeking forgiveness, but we should also be atoning for our sins. We should be looking for how do we repay uh, good goodness uh, with goodness the things that we have done that are bad or yeah. are in conflict. And for me, this is really significant because the church only calls our people to be forgiving. And what does it look like if our church also was seeking to atone for our sins, right? If all of a sudden I'm someone who is righteous, as we all know that I am. Yes. Right. Uh, me and my, all, all my righteousness, but I'm part of a collective that does not meet that standard of righteousness. I am responsible for participating in atoning. I don't get off the hook because of my righteousness. Yeah. I'm still responsible for atoning for the sins or the failures of the faithful. And as opposed to, well, you know what? We should just seek forgiveness. God forgive us for we know not what we do. Right? That can be prayed about us, but that can't be prayed by us. And we pray that by us all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, man, this ties in really well with what we were talking about earlier. Um, because, I mean, the idea that I have to atone for something in, in the way that you were describing it means I have to ask questions about what to do differently. Yes. Um, it means that I'm no longer uh, telling you what you need to do in order to receive forgiveness in, in the traditional evangelical method. It means that I, as somebody who's seeking atonement gets to walk with you and, 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 and help you and ask uh, those around me how I can change my posture. Right. Yeah, and, and I would say this is why, and this is where I kind of stepped in it this Sunday, and so hopefully I don't step in it again because that would really show my whiteness. Um, but with this Gene Brandt hug heard around the world, it's being celebrated because of the forgiveness 
that he offered. And people love to share that because they love to share that he forgave and how powerful it is that he forgave. But most of the people, particularly those within the white community, white Christianity, sharing this are not looking to seek atonement for the injustice that happened to uh, his brother. We aren't seeking to, to repay. We're not seeking to atone for the injustice that happened to his brother. Instead, we're just all happy about the forgiveness. And that part is an atrocity and it's so offensive. Like, it's okay that Brant forgave her. But we should be then saying, now, how do we atone for the injustice that happened? How do we say that it's great that he forgave her, but the celebration doesn't start because he forgave her? The celebration only starts when we have atoned for injustices of a black man sitting by himself in his own house eating ice cream and a white woman walks in and shoots him and kills him. And the only thing that we're talking about is how great it is that the brother forgave him. And we miss the atonement piece. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. We miss the atonement piece because I mean, you can't, that's not something I would have thought of because I was never introduced to the idea in, in, in the way that you did it. I mean, as always, education is a huge part of this podcast. There you go. So, so for me, this is really significant because forgiveness and, and I'm going to say this and I don't quite believe it, but in comparison, I do forgiveness costs us nothing. Sure. Right. We can just say you're forgiven. Right. I forgive you. Right. It, it really doesn't cost us anything. Yeah. Broad strokes. Um, now, forgiveness costs nothing. Right. Yes. It, certainly in certain situations, it takes a lot to forgive someone. But atonement in and of its very nature, in and of its very definition is a cost. Yeah. It requires, right? it, it requires a complete uh, change of lifestyle. Yes. Well, it's why I think, you know, we confuse this. We say, well, I don't need to worry about the day of judgment or the day of atonement because Jesus died for me. But yet the text says multiple times, Jesus's own words, you will be judged by what you have done. Yeah. Because even though you're forgiven, you still have to atone or you should still desire to atone. Right. Um, This is what, uh, though I think the sentencing was very unjust, she will atone by spending 10 years in prison or five years in parole, whatever it is that she'll actually spend in prison. That's supposed to be her atoning, right? Which is where our criminal justice system falls short, right? That's in no way does that atone for the loss of a life. (laughs) I think that we can spend a series on Yeah, and I don't want to get bogged down by that. But atonement in and of itself, just because you're forgiven, doesn't mean there isn't consequences. And I think what happens is so many of us live, continue to live broken lives and broken relationships because forgiveness was given to us or offered, but no atonement was made. 
I even think about my parents and my relationship with my parents. I forgive them for the childhood in which I grew up um, and the stuff I went through. But the relationship will remain severed because there was no atonement made. They didn't make any atonement uh, sure. for this. Um, and because of that, the relationship still remains severed. And that's not because I'm like holding out or something. It's because uh, until atonement is made, there is no depth of relationship there. Um, and so this is the difference. And this is why I think so many of us walk around so broken and hurt is because we have been raised on forgiveness and not atonement. Yeah. Um, it's no wonder that victim blaming is a common issue. Say more about that. Well, I'm just thinking how, how many times I've been pressured to forgive somebody for something that they did mm. to me. Yes. And, you know, it's, uh, it's completely on me to fix what they've done. And Correct. I get blamed for not doing that. Correct. Yep. I mean, it, it's, it's no wonder that uh, victim blaming is, is it rife within the church. Yes. It's, and here's what I think part of our problem is, right, is that we have the idea of atonement would be eye for an eye type language. Right? Yeah. You're atoning for someone losing their eye by giving them yours. You're atoning. Right. And we've turned eye for an eye into a negative. We view that as being bad. Yeah. Um, as opposed to understanding that what is being said in that text is that if you cause harm or uh, damage to somebody or something, that you must compensate them fairly for what you have done. Yeah. Yes. Now we, it's so funny because if you present it that way, like if I went to most Christian churches and say, you know, if you broke someone's window, do you feel like it's the right thing to do to replace their window? They'd be like, yes. I'm like, well, that's eye for an eye, right? That's, that's yeah. eye for an eye thinking, right? Um, and so it's fair compensation thinking, but we've turned eye for an eye into being something that it was never read as, um, so this is this idea. And so we have such a negative view of eye for an eye. We have such a negative view. I think that we've also done it with atonement, right? That um, it's no longer about atoning. I don't need to do anything to be forgiven. That's correct. That is correct. It is a free gift of forgiveness by God. But boy, if someone's, if I broke someone's window and they're like, it's all right, no problem. I wouldn't go, sweet. I don't have to pay for it. Yeah. Right. Like which one of us would do that? Well, I mean, I'm sure there are some people that would. Right. But like if if Malcolm throws a baseball through someone's window, first of all, I'd be surprised he had a baseball. But if he throws a baseball through someone's window and they're like, I get it. Kids are kids. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. I wouldn't assume that didn't mean I need I didn't need to replace the window. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think part of that, like, I think Christians and I'm saying broadly, I think most evangelicals get the idea that Jesus calls us to, to be more like all that the sermon on the Mount is look, you've, you've, you know that you shouldn't murder people, but murder doesn't start with an act. It starts with how you see somebody, how you interact with them, the, the emotions that you harbor toward them. So, you know, it, it, 
replacing somebody's window is great, but, or being forgiven to not replace somebody's window is great, but that doesn't mean I still won't help them install a new one if they decide to buy it. It's, it's always going that extra mile, which we get that part of it's. So we, it's like, we have, man, this is, this is great. My mind's uh, going in a bunch of different directions, but it's just like, you know, welcome back. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, The, the idea of atonement is so attainable and we, have actions um that we do every day that are already in line with it we're just missing the other half of the puzzle piece absolutely and i even think about you know this is where it comes in where god says in deuteronomy one of our favorite passages to talk about right that if you do everything i've commanded there'll be no chaos no poor amongst you yeah right so when you meet someone who is in poverty or someone who is in chaos give freely to them right pay atonement Make atonement because the reason that they are in poverty or they are in chaos is because you did not live collectively. Yes. Israel collectively did not live in the way that I called them to live. And because of that, when you come across someone who is in chaos, give to them, make atonement. Right. And this is where to me, Church could be transformative, and it's the thing that makes me so mad and so stressed out about the church. The church could be so transformative if it owned that, right? If the church were actually to own that the the problems in the world exist because of our lack of faithfulness in in caring for our neighbor, in uh, providing for the poor and the sojourner, uh, taking care of the widow, uh, seeking mercy for those around us, loving our neighbor. If we could see that the result, that the the way the world is, is because we have failed to do that well and consistently. And because of that, we need to pay atonement for that. Like, we need to give freely of mercy. We need to give freely of generosity. We need to give freely of all of these things yeah. in order to set right what has been wronged. Man. This is why when you tell somebody that they are enough, yeah, it is, ex- it is life-changing and extremely powerful. Absolutely. Because suddenly, while... Um, suddenly I have, it's, it's, it's within my ability to make positive change. Absolutely. Yep. It's not too much. In fact, that's also in the Deuteronomy passage, right? That I I've given you all these things and they're not too hard for you. Right. (laughs) I, but you know, Christians like to overcomplicate things too. Well, people, I, well, I would yeah, say. I, yes, people as a whole do. Yes, yes, people as a whole do. Christians uniquely do when it comes to religiosity. Um, yeah, and I just think that all of this is so significant and important, especially this time of year, right? Like the during Rosh Hashanah, you're supposed to take like 10 days of seeking forgiveness, taking personal inventory and looking to make compensation for debts that you've created uh, or atonement, right? And you are supposed to take care of all those things over the past year that things that were set 
on uh, off kilter and you're supposed to make them right. And then Yom Kippur is the day of atonement in which the atonement is accepted. The payment is accepted and God says, yes, I accept the atonement that you've offered and you have another year, right? That's, that's amazing, right? That is so ridiculously good. Um, and so important. It's why in Matthew 5, I think it is. Oof. Well, you can have at me if it's not Matthew 5. It's, I think it's Matthew 5, where Jesus says, leave your gift at the altar uh, if you have something against your brother. Like, leave your gift at the altar, then go. Seek, a, and, seek forgiveness. Yeah. And then come back. Like, don't even give me an offering until you've compensated. Like, don't pay me, right? Like, this is God saying, like, you've got it confused, right? Like, you need to give atonement to your brother before you ever give me an offering. That's ridiculous to give me an offering when you haven't even compensated your brother for your wrongdoing. Man. Like so important, so significant. All we do is spend time at the altar giving in many ways, unfortunately, pseudo offerings to God, but giving offerings to God. And we just think, well, I sought forgiveness from God. So that's all I need. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm off the hook. Yeah. Well, I, again, when that's all you're taught growing up, then certainly. And, and George, you know, (laughs) I get more mad at seminaries and at pastors than I get mad at the lay person that doesn't understand this because I recognize you can only know what you know. No, for sure. I, 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 I don't know. I, I know that. I just, I like throwing that out just for an extra measure. Well, I think it's good for our listeners to hear. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap up for the week. Excellent. Well, it's good to be back. It's great to be back. It's good to see you. Uh, Somehow we're going to have to make atonement to our listeners. Uh, I, yes. Uh, So George, you get out your checkbook. Yeah. No, Uh, just (laughs) expect a check from George. Yeah. Uh, Um, So just tweet your, your address. Now the I check have is in the mail. I have run into this issue before, mm-hmm. Mister. Of Cash. writing two May checks. No, apparently this guy keeps just asking for his name in cash to be paid out on the top line, <laughs> and he never gets his money. So, um, no, all that George, being- George, is that you practicing to be to make a dad joke? Uh, I know you're in the adoption process. Yeah, you're in the adoption process, so you're you're trying to practice your dad jokes. I'm working on it. You you got a bright future, my friend. I will have to seek atonement for that one, I'm sure. But check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Evangel Bros. And we're also on Patreon. Yep. And uh, we're going to have some exclusive stuff coming that way as we're getting ramped up again. And yeah. And we appreciate everyone's patience that dealt with our long sabbatical, which was much longer than both George and I anticipated. It was. Uh, but we're grateful for the listeners. Please share our podcast with other people you think might be interested in hearing us. Uh, it's been really cool to see the number of people, the different countries that have listened to our stuff. And we would love to have the opportunity to interact with more folks. Absolutely. All that being said, have a great week, everybody. My name is Don. And I'm George. Bye.